Abby Kinney, and you are listening to Upzoned. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Upzoned, a show where we take a big story from the news each week that touches the Strong Towns conversation, and we upzone it. We talk about it in depth. I'm Abby Kinney, an urban planner at Multi-Studio, and back with me today is Jay Stange, content manager for Strong Towns. Hi, Jay. Welcome back. Great to have you. Abby, it's great to be here. Thanks for inviting me back. Yeah, it's always great to have you. And you guys were all together a couple of weeks ago. Is that right? We took the Twin Cities of Minnesota by storm in the first week of August. It was um, a little bit hot. And as you know, the Strong Towns crew is a little bit nerdy. So it's not like we were, you know, out doing like hip hop gigs uh, until two in the morning. But we had a great time in the cities and got a lot of work done. I saw a couple of Twins games. Um, nice. Which were- Fabulous. So yeah, we're we're coming back off of our staff retreat. We do those a few times a year. That's great. Yeah. And so that's why we've had a little bit of a gap in upzone over the past couple of weeks. I think all of our schedules have been crazy. Uh, but glad you guys were able to get together. So the article that we are covering today is a really big story. <laughs> so this was published by The Guardian by Wilfred Chan, entitled No More Cars for Me. Will a $23 toll finally rid Manhattan of gridlock? So New York City is poised to become the first ever U.S. city to implement congestion pricing. So this is a policy that would require over a million drivers per day to pay up to $23 at peak hours to enter Midtown and Lower Manhattan. Cities like Singapore and London have had congestion pricing in place for multiple decades, but in the past, the policy has faced a lot of challenges in convincing New Yorkers of the benefits until recently. There has been a growing recognition by the public that New York City just doesn't have the infrastructure or the resources or the space to support the level of commuters coming into the city in private vehicles every single day. So policy proponents say that congestion pricing will not only create a disincentive to commuting using your personal vehicle, but it will also help to raise funds to upgrade the city's infrastructure. According to a recent uh, environmental assessment that was released, the anticipated revenues will help fund $15 billion to public transit. Um, And the report also contains seven different tolling scenarios. So these uh, involve different credits and caps and exemptions to certain vehicles. So at this point, it seems like there's a lot of policy ideas and, you know, different ways of approaching congestion pricing, but the devil's in the details and that has not been worked out yet. Um, And I understand that we're about to have some hearings on the different options, the different scenarios that have been outlined in that environmental assessment. Is that right? Yeah, Abby, this is going to run on the 24th and 25th through the 31st of August, there's going to be hearings on pricing for this particular proposal, which, by the way, 
has been a long time, a long time coming. I did a little bit of uh, research on this uh, on this article for today, and you know, we had an article two years ago by our uh, senior editor Daniel Harrigus talking about this coming down the road, and I, I I was wondering why it had been delayed. And not only are there folks that are sort of out in the exurban districts who are worried about how it's going to affect commuters. But also, we had this little issue of Mario Cuomo and his resignation. So, you know, everything that affects the MTA in New York City is uh, one of those state and city issues. And so this is one of those complicated New York City issues that has a a federal, state, and a city jurisdiction. So it got held up, right, by Uh by Cuomo getting into trouble um, politically Uh and resigned. (laughs) Well, that and, you know, I I saw the article that Daniel had written back in 2019. You know, there's a lot of things that have happened between now and 2019. I'm sure the pandemic also held up, you know, discussions about this big policy change that's coming down the pipe, right? So it's, it's really interesting to kind of learn about congestion pricing. I'm not somebody who you know, specializes in that as a policy approach. It's obviously not something that is happening in the U.S. currently. There's been a lot of uh, criticism that I've seen published over the past week about congestion pricing, a lot of it coming from the New York Post specifically, saying that there are safety concerns on public transit right now that are keeping people away from using that service. And so putting that congestion pricing policy in now will ultimately just make drivers take different routes into the city and push the congestion to the north, I suppose. So that's kind of the big critique that I've seen. Also, the concern about how this impacts the work from home jobs and employers in the city and kind of the return to the office movement, how it impacts you know, trades people, how it impacts people who, you know, maybe can't afford to live in Manhattan and need to live somewhere far away from Manhattan, but commute in every single day. There's a lot of different ways of thinking about this and critiquing the policy. I I don't think that all the criticisms are totally unfounded. I I do think that this is a major policy change that will have for first order, second order, third order effects on transportation as well as transportation funding. And it's this carrot and stick approach that will hopefully over time incentivize using public transportation, improving the public transportation system and disincentivizing using your personal vehicles in New York City. Um, You know, if you don't have to, It, it just seems like it surprises me that people do commute to New York City in their cars every day because I've been to New York several times and it just seems like a very miserable place to be in a car. <laughs> it's something I feel like this thing will just need to shake out and it's like a it's going to create some kind of reshuffling. But ultimately you can't fit all the cars that are that need to be in New York in New York. It's just not workable, right? So Abby, I lived in New York City from 2010 until 2014, you know, during those Mayor Bloomberg years with Jeanette Sadiq Khan as the as the uh, transportation czar. And I, I was always amazed at sort of the culture of driving on Manhattan. Um, I had a friend who had been a police officer, and he and I were both teachers in the Bronx. And 
I remember driving around with him in, in Manhattan and, you know, he was not, he would not even blink at the, at the difficulty of finding a parking spot anywhere in the city. He felt like he could always do it. And I feel like there is this sort of old school culture that still exists on Manhattan of people feeling like, you know, being able to drive a car in this very busy, very densely populated city is something that they have just always done and they always will do. And so there's that, this amazing sort of New Yorker, you know, creativity and strength and, and sort of resilience about that driving culture that I think is really slow to, for us to change. And, you know, these numbers that we're talking about are, are huge numbers. I mean, almost 8 million people every day come onto Manhattan you know, pre-pandemic, um, you know, like you said, you know, between a million and two million people in cars every day. So this is this, this is a huge, huge, huge deal. And I think that in the past, Strong Towns has referenced uh, an article by this guy, Jarrett Walker, who talks about New York City having a geometry problem, you know, like literally, literally, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a math problem. You can't actually fit that many cars and that many people into parking spaces and on the paved services in Manhattan. It's just impossible. So this proposal, according to the environmental assessment, could reduce vehicle traffic in New York City by, by one-fifth and generate, you know, like a billion dollars a year that would go, most of it would go to subways and buses and other capital needs. You know, the, the MTA network still has signal systems that are 80 years old, you know, that were built in like pre-World War II signal systems. And, you know, they're still like in place right now. So they really need to find a, a, a resource. It's like a two and a half billion dollar deficit every year for the MTA. And they really do need to find a financial resource. So I'm sympathetic to having needing to bring some income in. And I'm also sympathetic to how it's going to affect people in different parts of the of the five boroughs. It's definitely going to be a big deal for everybody. Yeah, definitely going to be a big deal for everybody. And I think, you know, the criticism that I saw that I think is probably the the most well-founded, but also a criticism that maybe could be addressed is that, you know, it is, it is uh, you know, somewhat regressive. It's going to be whether or not you can drive into New York City is going to be tied to how much money you have in a lot of ways. I mean, people who can afford to commute and pay 23 plus dollars per day, they will probably continue to drive and people who can't um, will make that decision for themselves to take public transportation or seek other employment or attempt to live closer to where they work. I mean, there's going to need to be decisions that are made. And so this will affect people. I'm not totally sure what other solutions there are to accommodate demands, though. You know, it's not like you can, number one, micromanage who takes public transportation versus who drives. Um, That's not the type of society we live in. Um, So, you know, this is a market approach for enabling people to self-sort their their way into making that decision. And then also, you can't just knock down all the buildings and put up parking lots and build new freeways through Manhattan. Um, I think as a society, thankfully, we're well past that very odd phase, at least I would think in New York City, especially. Although it does surprise me that they have this driving culture because in Kansas City, we it's the same thing. You know, there's this birthright to be able to get in your car and park right in front 
of the store. And so it's funny that that's the case in New York City. But it surprises me because New York, I, I would think, has never accommodated cars well. Um, you know, this isn't a place that was built as cars were already popularized. I feel like this is like the futon situation. It's like futon is not a comfortable couch. It's not a comfortable bed. And so New York, I think, needs to decide what it's going to be because it does. It shouldn't be a futon. It should be one or the other. You know, it's um, the last time I, I actually took a bus into New York City. My wife, Jessie, and I rode the bus from Boston, I think, to New York City for some reason. And I remember sitting in the bus um, on 8th Avenue. You know, we were on, um, we were in Manhattan, you know, coming down the west side. We're over on 8th Avenue in traffic. And I had my eye on this elderly woman who was walking on the sidewalk beside us in this like beautiful floral print dress. And she's sort of making her way down the sidewalk very slowly. And we're sitting on the bus in traffic on 8th Avenue, watching this elderly woman sort of disappear into the distance, you know, and they won't let you off the bus because, you know, you can't get off the bus until you get to the station, right? And just feeling like, I felt like, you know, so claustrophobic and so crazy sitting in that congestion. But, you know, the reality is that for Manhattan, the average speed, you know, it, it goes down to seven miles per hour, I think is the average speed of a car in Manhattan. And the thing about congestion is that it's not regressive. It affects everybody. Everybody experiences it. Everybody feels it. And, you know, there is no way around the geometry of the problem. We have to, we have to do something. And, you know, I, I think it's not just air pollution. It's not, you know, just greenhouse gas emissions. It's not the, you know, the, the avoidable deaths that happen, you know, because of car use in, in Manhattan. It's, it's kind of, um, you know, this geometry problem is at the heart of what we need to solve. And yes. and you're not going to create more space in Manhattan. <laughs> you're not. Not happening. No way. And, you know, your, your, your concerns about the regressive tax, I hear that completely because I think one of the proposals is for people who make less than $60,000 a year and who live on Manhattan to be exempt, you know, or to receive like a tax refund for, um, you know, for any of the, of the tolls that they pay. Um, but, you know, at the same time, you also have people who are like, you know, driving through Manhattan to go to New Jersey from Brooklyn, you know, through the Holland Tunnel, you know, and, you know, like, is that reasonable, you know, in one of the most densely populated places on earth? Uh, we have to change that, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, and also, you know, it it wouldn't be seen as quite so regressive of a tax if public transit was awesome and really nice and you know, fun to be on and safe. I, I think that that is the key here. You know, it shouldn't be that driving is this the only comfortable option or convenient option. Public transit needs to be invested in through this program in a way that makes it competitive with driving in terms of convenience, in terms of comfort, in terms of um, you know, dignity. I think that that is a critical piece here because it's, you know, th there's going to be a revenue stream that's created out of this as people continue to drive into the city. Ideally, if people are not driving as much, I would think that that revenue would go down over time, but I haven't seen how those models work. 
you know, it's kind of like a police department relying heavily on handing out tickets. You don't want yeah. people to, yeah. you know, we don't want to rely on on the behavior that we're trying to disincentivize. But ultimately, I think the success of this kind of program will boil down to the management of these immediate funds that are created and noticeable improvements to the public transportation system. And I'm totally ignorant to how the MTA is, you know, the politics of that and the leadership and, you know, whether they're going to be able to pull that off. But it seems like that is the most important thing, that that money is put into that system in a very meaningful way as quickly as possible. They say if your public transit is not something that the wealthy people in your in your area want to use, then really nobody wants to use it. You know, that the, the Post, you know, has all kinds of fear stories right now about people getting pushed off subway platforms in New York City. But the reality is that it's amazingly well used. And it and there, you know, we always need more capacity. And so, you know, this is like an opportunity to do that, you know, and with this with this dedicated stream, I, I think it's gonna it's gonna really help it. And and at the same time, you know, you have these uh, politicians who are in Orange County and Staten Island, you know, the folks just right outside the boroughs who are pushing, you know, the hardest against this congestion pricing proposal. And it's it, it's because, you know, they have folks who are, um, you know, living in, you know, very much like single family home neighborhoods that are driving into the city for work. It's like really the only way they can do it effectively. And so I, I hear that, you know, this is a regressive against people who are actually working for a living. You know, this is yeah, you know, we're not talking about, yeah, people who are, who are trying to just get to work, you know, and, but I, I think that one of the points that I, that I really feel strongly about that strong towns has, you know, made a, a really, you know, good effort to communicate on this issue is that the reality is that, yeah, it's, it, it might be regressive initially, but I think that what's really regressive and I'm, I'm kind of borrowing some words from Daniel Haragas here, is is charging, is that we've never really charged drivers yes. um, the, the real price of, yeah. of driving. People have never had to pay for, um, you know, for roads directly, except in isolated tolling situations. They don't pay for free parking spots. You know, we have um, um, all these ways that we subsidize driving and, in, you know, everything from millions of free parking spots to, you know, new road construction. And I think that, you know, in the end, what's really regressive here is that we continue to reinforce these, you know, car-centric development patterns that uh, exist in America. And, and it's, it's really expensive. It, we're saying to everybody that if you don't have, you know, ten dollars or fifteen or $20,000 to have a car, then you can't participate in our society. And, and at some point, you know, we need to also address that. Yes, I think that I think you're spot on about that. And that is the truly the true hidden costs and the true regressive tax, right? I mean, Strong Towns talks a lot about those hidden costs that are not being paid. And it eventually leads to maintenance backlog, the Ponzi scheme approach to growth. Uh, you know, I mean, that's that's what these things lead to. And I think for New York City, they're having somewhat of a reckoning that is exposing the true cost of these systems, including their public transportation system. And they can't be a futon. They need to, you know, they can be a vibrant, dense, high demand city with uh, 
you know, policies and programs that enable their public transportation system to be awesome and convenient and comfortable, or they can not do that, I guess, and, you know, just allow this problem to fester. I don't know. This seems like a step in the right direction. I, I'm 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 interested to see what happens. I hope that they that the money is not like mismanaged and you know <laughs> yeah. it's like it's like that would be a huge failure I think for the whole country because I think a lot of people are going to be looking to New York to see if this kind of program is applicable in other places and could be managed well and actually work and how that money is managed and the program is ran is going to be so, so critical. Yeah. Like, like you said, the devil's going to be in the details and, you know, these hearings that are coming up in the next week are going to address a lot of those, um, a lot of the the decision about who's going to pay and how much. And I think, I think that, um, you know, this idea that maybe New York city taxis, medallion taxis, on Manhattan Island wouldn't be charged more than once a day, but rideshare would potentially be charged multiple trips a day. That's one of the proposals that's on the table. And that is something that could really fundamentally shift the rideshare world in New York City. You know, if they had to all of a sudden figure out a way to, uh, you know, to add a 23 or a $17 toll to every trip, you know, rideshare prices are already going up. When I was in Minneapolis, I was really surprised at how expensive my trip from the airport was. And, yeah. You know, have you, and, we did an upzone on that recently, yeah. um, maybe just a couple of months ago. And if you go back to that and read the article that we were citing in those stories, I mean, it's fascinating how Uber was able to basically compete with taxi companies, offer very low cost rides on investors dimes basically and so they're now shifting their model so that that is fascinating that the policy is is differentiating between the taxi companies and you know uber rideshare companies um yeah yeah. and then and then you also have like the possibility i've seen one proposal that's going to be discussed that uh you know, people who are doing commercial trucks, you know, it might be a hundred bucks a trip, you know? So if you're coming in from the Bronx where they have the, you know, most of the big network of uh, warehouses for grocery supplies comes in from the, from the Bronx, they've got this like warehouse network that, that has been built in New York city. And all those trucks that come in every day, you know, are, are going to be above that 60th Avenue line. But how are you going to get from, you know, the, the, the trucks full of food below 60th, you know, below Central Park? I mean, are, are the trucks going to park somewhere and unload into small, like, pedicabs to deliver lettuce all around to the restaurants? I mean, who, how's that going to work? Yeah, that's a good question. <laughs> have you seen, have you seen that, uh, the Federal Express proposals where they have, you know, electric you know, sort of like small bicycle lane size delivery trucks that they're rolling out. Yes, I have seen that. I'm imagining that, you know, like full of like lettuce and, and garlic, you know, and and uh, and like refrigerated chicken, you know, like going down, um, you know, 20 miles an hour down 8th Avenue, you know, to get to the restaurants in, uh, in, in Soho, right? Maybe you and I should quit our jobs and go buy some electric carts and start like moving groceries around lower Manhattan. Uh-huh. There you go. Yeah. They should call uh, DARPA and have those scary <laughs> robot dogs 
yeah. start delivering. <laughs> that would be um, very dystopian. <laughs> very classic, yeah. I mean, you know, the the, wor- the world is is becoming uh, is becoming more modern even as we speak. Uh huh. Yes, it is. Okay, so maybe we can follow up on this one in a few months. I, I'm interested to, you know, keep tabs on it and and see what they ultimately decide on in terms of policy. Do you have an idea of when? Like yeah. decisions will be made. It it seems like most of the of the of the pundits and most of the people that analyze New York State and New York City politics think that by maybe this time next year, um, or maybe like sort maybe towards the end of twenty twenty three, this is going to be in place. So gotcha. Um, get okay. ready. Yeah, yeah, that's fascinating stuff. Okay, um, so we'll leave it there before we finish today. It is time for the down zone, which is the part of this show where we can share anything we have been up to these days, anything we've been reading, watching, listening to. Um, so Jay, I will pass it to you. What's up? Um, Abby, I think I've shared with you before um, on UpZoned um, a little known fact about me, which is that I'm a Grand Slam tennis nerd. I love, yeah. uh, I love, I love tennis. In fact, my, my kids, you know, even though I kind of grew up in a working class, like trailer courty neighborhood in Anchorage, Alaska, um, I, I somehow became a tennis player. And one of my favorite tennis players of all time is, um, of course, uh, Serena. And she is going to be participating in her very last U.S. Open tennis tournament in New York City starting um, on, you know, basically like four days from when this broadcasts. So my, I'm taking my daughter and my son um, into the city to go see Serena play. And she hasn't made it past the opening rounds too often in recent Grand Slam tournaments. So we'll probably have to try and get there early in the tournament and then, you know, root for her as we go. But um, Serena Williams is my down zone for this week. I'm really looking forward to that. I, I love going to the, the U.S. Open you get on the seven train and go out to Queens and you get off the train and you're walking around out there and it's just, you know, an unbelievable international spectacle. And, and I'm, and I'm going to be there uh, rooting for Serena one last time. Yeah. Shout out to Serena. That's very exciting. Sounds like that will be a fun, fun trip with the kids for sure. I will share um, a movie that I watched recently and I do feel like I've become like the movie person. I've just been, <laughs> I don't know. I've been on kind of a movie kick recently i feel like people keep asking me have you seen the stranger things and i'm like i i watched it the first couple of seasons and now it's been so long that i i feel like i have no idea what's going on with series anymore even the last season of ozark i was like i kind of don't <laughs> remember uh everything yeah. that's going on so I'm, I'm on a movie kick so i watched a movie that starred molly shannon and Jesse Plemons called Other People. Have you heard of that? Yes. Ugh. Yeah. I, I would tell me about that. It was the saddest movie <laughs> that I've ever watched, but it was funny and it was really good. And Molly Shannon, of course, is amazing. You know, from my childhood, I remember her from Superstar. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's basically about. It's a film about this struggling gay comedy writer in New York who returns back home to his family in Sacramento to take care of his mom, who is dying from cancer. And the story basically starts there and spans a whole year until ultimately she dies. 
And so it depicts this weird process of like anticipated grief, if that makes sense. And it, you know, the main character kind of coming to terms with being the, you know, the person who moved to New York to find themselves and then coming back to where he came from and then being kind of the outsider in his family and a stranger where he's from. And so, yeah, I just thought it was this really beautiful story about, you know, a mother and a son saying goodbye to each other and, you know, over the course of a year and yeah, just beautiful movie. So yeah, it's, it's one of those movies. I don't think you'd want to watch more than once, but it's really good. It's, I would highly recommend it for people who are emotional like I am. (laughs) It sounds, it sounds really great. Um, I, I never mind a sad movie or a sad song. Um, I, I kind of like that appeals to me as well. Um, you know, Abby, it's, it's kind of funny. This has been like basically the New York city broadcast today. Right. I mean, it's, I feel like we yeah, should have been. Yeah, is it not? And I, I didn't like, mean for to do that actually. I feel like we should have been sitting on a park <laughs> bench in Madison square, you know, like uh, you I know, wish. having, having lunch and, and talking over um, this New York city upzoned issue. Yeah, we can talk. We can interview New Yorkers about congestion <laughs> pricing. Hopefully no one punches us in the face. <laughs> Just kidding. All right. Well, thank you very much, Jay, for for joining us today. Always great to have you on the show. Great to be here, Abby. Thanks so much. Thanks. And thanks, everyone, for listening to another episode of UpZoned. Keep doing what you can to build a strong town. Thanks, Jay. Let me show you what I'm about to do.